there, friend. Welcome back to Dr. Me First, a podcast all about authentic conversations between us female physicians. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Wiseman, your colleague in medicine and your coach in life. These conversations are between female physicians, and they're meant to bring encouragement, inspiration, hope, and fun to your life and practice. It truly is my purpose to let every female physician know that she is not alone in medicine, and that means you too. It's not going to happen anymore, because now this is a community that has been formed by truth-speaking, life-saving, and full of fierce females who want to support and lift each other up. Well, today is episode number 36, and I am talking with Dr. Lisa Masson. She is a phenomenal female physician who gives us such insight into the decades of practice that she has. Her word is talking about dignity and the fact that we are lacking some dignity in how we're being treated as physicians. We get in-depth talking about the electronic medical record, and I think you are going to really enjoy this conversation and probably be shaking your head a lot saying, yes, that's exactly how I feel. So go ahead, listen to the conversation, and stick around afterwards for that kick of encouragement. Here we go. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Wiseman back again with another wonderful female colleague. We have been chatting before the recording, and I had to stop her because she is telling such great stories that I wanted to make sure to get it recorded for all of you. So this is Dr. Lisa Masson, and she's going to give you guys a little bit of a bio about herself. I'm Lisa. Um, I live in Los Angeles. I was born and raised here. I went to med school at USC. And they told me I couldn't be a surgeon. You know, women weren't really big into being surgeons in those days. And they said, oh, you, you don't have enough stamina. And one of those people don't ever tell me I can't do something. It really pisses me off. So I went off to two years of general surgery. And I could have been an adequate general surgeon, but I really wasn't a happy camper. So I decided to leave after two years, do family medicine, which I loved. Um, pat myself on the back. I think I was an excellent absolutely fantastic family dog, got married to a Texan, had three kids, lived in a smallish town, 250,000, really loved what I was doing. In about 2001, we got Epic, um, electronic health record, and I was thrilled. I'd been in a satellite office. We didn't have access to all the consultant notes. We had a homegrown EHR in the main building, and I'd call and say, hey, you know what Dr. Smith say about my patient? Well, look in the look in the record. I don't have the record. I'm in the care center. Uh, well, we'll fax it to you. And you know, you've all recognized those conversations. And the patient's waiting. You're annoyed. Everybody's annoyed. So I was thrilled when I got Epic. Well, people today complain about the HR in general and Epic in particular. Guess what? In 2001, it was cumbersome. It was sort of a big fish. Chief of staff elected the hospital and chairman of the foundation board. And when I didn't like something, I would just email the CEO and say, hey, you know, this isn't great. This is how we should fix it. Um, and I'd work with some of the specialists because in those days, every doc was allowed to build their own smart sets. They would never dream of giving physician builder access now. But I would say, okay, if I'm going to have to build my own smart set to treat diabetes, I'm going to reach out to all the experts who knew me because of the other roles and build the best darn smart set possible. No good deed goes unpunished. Eventually, I turned out of the leadership roles. CEO walks into my office 
he's got a dozen roses. And I went, uh-oh, I am in big, big trouble. And I looked, I go, David, what do you want? And that, remember, I'm going to carry something. The CEO never had shown up there before. And he goes, Lisa, I want you to be our electronic health record lead. And I started to laugh. I'm like, I am not technically savvy. I really struggled. And I'm the last person who wanted to be the lead. He goes, oh, you'll have credibility. If Lisa could do it, anybody could do it. Well, great. There's the, there's the kudos you need. So I ended up being a local lead for about six months. I was working for Sutter, which is a big health system, ended up being a regional lead and on a lot of committees. Fast forward to about 2011, everybody has some sort of midlife crisis. Uh, I did mine in fine style. I got divorced. I bought a convertible. I moved home to Hollywood, which was great. Got a job at Cedar sinai And LA is home to me. I mean, I grew up here, everything. So for the last, gosh, nine years now, I've been a working on Epic and helping with the implementation optimization here in LA. That might've been more of a biography than you anticipated. No, that's great. Girl, you are a front runner. I didn't get involved with Epic until uh, 2011. So actually yeah. 2009 is when I got involved. Well, so you when go, you want girl. some help, reach out to me. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I'm a computer geek at heart. So as much as I have like a love-hate relationship with EHR, like there's some things I think are just amazing, absolutely amazing with it. And so the geeky part of me kind of gets all excited with when I hear you talking about that. So that's great. I mm -hmm. love it. Thank you so much for introducing us to your life and your work. And tell the audience what word you picked today. So for today's word, I put, picked dignity. Has a lot to do with when you reached out to me. A little OCD, I've got four boards currently, the family medicine boards, clinical informatic boards, and the CAQs in adolescent sports medicine. So not surprisingly, I end up going in every few years and doing a recertification exam. And I'm sure by now most of you have had to do that, and it's always at a Prometrics testing center and you have to follow the rules. Um, and they, they, you're not allowed to bring anything into the room with you. You can't bring a pencil, you can't bring anything. And for this last one, I had a little bit of a sore, scratchy throat and I wanted to bring cough drops. So I went back and very carefully read the instructions and it said, you can leave food outside, but you have to check in and out or you can bring things in a clear plastic bag. So I got a little snack baggie and I put cough drops in it. And when I show up at the testing center, the woman goes, you can't take that in. And I said, but I actually had the piece of paper. It's on the instruction sheet. I can have, you really trust me. You don't want me in the room with everybody else taking the test, coughing. Well, you have to unwrap them. So I'm standing there with people in line behind me, unwrapping my cough drops and putting them in the baggie. And I'm thinking, if I were clever enough to predict what they're going to ask and be able to write the answers on the inside of a cough drop and wrap it back up again, I sure as heck wouldn't need to wrap it on the inside of a cough drop. I would have learned the answer. And I don't care what profession you're in. I recognize that Prometrics is people taking, you know, building contractor exams and everything else. But what field exists now where people don't have access to their phone on the internet? How absurd is that? And to me, I was just standing there and I, I it just felt so debasing. And that's where I thought, you know, Where's the dignity in our life? How can you how can you treat someone like that, let alone a professional? So yeah. that's where the word came from. And when we were chatting beforehand, I gave you a little bit more of the 
landscape I'm in right now, we've all read about um, reducing the clinical burden and how unhappy physicians are. So in my usual quiet way, I, I piped up at a couple of meetings, both at AMIA, which is American Medical Informatics Association and an HL7 subgroup. So I've been working on you know, reducing, reducing the clinical burden and thinking a lot about what it is that makes us so unhappy. And a lot of it to me when I go in has just to do with being treated like another employee. Click this box, do that, you have to do that. And as I was sharing, I'm old enough that I remember walking into the hospital, looking for a paper chart, and the nurse would come up to you and go, good morning, doctor, can I grab that chart for you? And Would you like a cup of coffee? What do you want in it? You know, and now we just laugh. You, there, nobody even, yeah, there's no way that would ever happen. No, there's they? absolutely no way. <laughs> I don't need to be waited on. Certainly getting me a cup of coffee is not part of the deal. But I wouldn't mind somebody saying, good morning, how are you today? You know, what can I do to help you? Because we're all part of the same team. Absolutely. As opposed to, you have to put in the orders. That's your job. It's just, ah. Yeah, so. it is true. I think it does come down to so much of that good communication skills. Because I know, like, from my side, I get a little hacked off when I open up my Epic like a shift or the next morning and I've got all these unsigned orders to do and then I've got to wade through them and you know a good portion of them they're not my orders I didn't verbal mm -hmm. them hopefully they were on a patient that I was treating or seeing but I know exactly what you mean by that it's it's almost as if not that we want to be placed on a pedestal uh, as a physician, but just to be treated like a valued member of the team, not somebody who can click the right buttons to get things moving along. Right, right, exactly. Where, where is our role? And we shouldn't let, every, everything does fall on our shoulder eventually. We are captain of the ship. I learned that loud and clear as, you know, an intern in surgery, you're the captain of the ship. That doesn't mean you're also the person who's emptying the trash cans and sweeping the floors. Yeah. I have you, to make sure it's done appropriately. Right. And I think that's that I think that's where we maybe lost it a little bit in the last 10 years with the um, electronic medical record is is you're right, we are the captain of the ship. We should we should know generally what's going on, but we don't need to have our fingers in every single mechanism right. that's happening. Right. Uh, well, and going back to the documentation, we all get frustrated by notes that are 17 pages long and all I care about is the bottom line and the note bloat. And part of where physicians went majorly array is letting the practice of medicine be dictated by the government with incentive matrix and insurance companies with the coding and compliance rules. And we needed way back when to say, hey, wait, this doesn't make sense. And if the documentation's in the chart, it's an EHR. It doesn't all need to be in our note. Our note shouldn't be the in data dump. Our note should have what we elicited in the patient narrative and our medical decision making. Yeah. We don't need all the other stuff. It's there. Yeah, it can be found in other places, the last 72 hours worth of vitals. <laughs> right. Exactly. I have some friends that are practicing outside of the U.S. And we were talking, it's been about six months ago, but we were talking exactly about this, the note burden. They had trained here in the U.S., so they were used to the typical, like, huge 
soap note. And that was one thing that they, when, when I was talking with them is like, they were just like so elated that in the country that they're in now, they're back to like the two sentence note patient presents for follow-up doing well, refilled medications, follow up in three months, you know? And I was like, so jealous. I have a great story around that. I was at a Hims, one of these national meetings, and I was talking to one of the Epic physicians. You know, they hire docs to work, work at their build, and they've been bringing up Epic up in the Netherlands. So if you've used Epic, you know one of the functionalities is called NoteWriter. So rather than typing out your physical exam or using your own template, you go, I call them clicky boxes. You just go click all these little boxes. So this physician from Epic's in the Netherlands showing these doctors how to do click boxes to make NoteWriter. And one of the the Dutchman said, I don't understand. So we went back through to show him the click boxes again. And the doctor said, no, no, no. I understand what the computer's doing, but why? We just say normal physical. Don't you know what that means? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And where they're not driven by, well, we have to put in eight different body parts with three different points each to get our point. We know what we did. Why are we, why are we reiterating this? And nobody wants to read that. Yeah, exactly. And I think some of it too goes back to the fear of our medical (coughs) legal climate as well. I know that was one thing that I was preached on during residency training is, you know, with the templates, if your patient only has one eye, make sure that your templated note, you know, is adjusted for that because who's not to say that if that something goes awry and that your note comes into question, would that disvalidate everything in that chart that you had touched on and i think that's kind of of course of course it does the lawyers are all over that and that's where by forcing ourselves to do redundant documentation we're forcing ourselves to do inaccurate documentation and that leads to difficulty Mm -hmm. how many times have you seen that one-eyed patient says pupils equal around reactive delight yeah yeah, exactly. It all the time. It does all the so. time. Or if there's an amputee or just, you know, and, and I think that's probably that yeah. leads a lot to our clinical burden, you know, having to right. pick through the minutia of the mountain. The office practice I took over in 1990 had an old time doc who'd retired. And not only was it paper, he had index cards. Oh. And the note would say, B-O-M and an arrow, a mox. And I knew he'd evaluated the patient, done the history, looked in the ears, and given the right dose of amoxicillin. I love the note cards. Oh, my gosh. I remember being a college student, and I was shadowing a rural family medicine physician um, getting ready to do my med school application. I love those damn – I mean, they just bring such, Mm -hmm. like, sweet emotions to me now, you you saying that, Mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, they were handwritten – you could tell some of them were so yellowed with age that that person, you know, that there was just some heart and soul in those. Right. Right. (laughs) And you could tell what was going on. That's the amazing thing. My, um, before the days of the EHR, my physical exams, I had a rubber stamp and I would do a big bracket and go normal, normal, but whatever was abnormal, I would write, I would circle, I would highlight. And it was so easy for me to flip through the chart and remember, who that was, whether or not I, you know, refilled birth control pills or sent him for the cardiology, whatever it was, it was so easy to pick out. So I'm one of those people I try pretty hard in Epic. I'll 
take the part I care about, I'll put it in bold, I'll change the color, but you still lose it. I mean, yeah, among all the, the other garbage. Yeah, it's not the same. What would you say would be a way to incorporate some dignity back into our practice? Physicians in general, I think, need to speak up and fight the root cause. So I mentioned I'm on this committee, and it's interesting that some of the docs, and we're talking brilliant, seasoned physicians who understand, are proposing, well, if we just had one box that said Marcus reviewed and didn't put it in our note. And I'm like, no, we need to be far more disruptive than that. We need to get rid of the rule in general. If they're going to try to audit us to say you're charging too much because you didn't look, it's a computer. There's metadata. They, we don't need to click mark as reviewed. They can tell if we were in the review check section of the chart. So I, I think part of it is every one of us should be responding and fighting and at whatever level you choose, whether it be your academy, if, you know, AAFP, if you're a family doc, your local state agency. Um, right now, CMS has an open call. If you go to their website, they've um, put out um, a template for what they want to do to reduce clinical burden. And I think every one of us needs to go through it and respond. I think that's how we're going to get dignity back is by taking control. Yeah lighten a fire under some ass that we need to get changes for. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I will definitely put a link because I think it is really important um, that we all contribute to this open call that CMS has put out there. I had found out about it a couple of months ago and started poking around. And I think the more voices that we can say, hey, this is what I think about it, right, wrong, or otherwise, um, I think it'll be important. Right. So I will definitely put that in the show notes of this podcast. Right. So everybody who listens, well, good. Can check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, if the politicians get, you know, one tenth of 1% of physicians responding, they'll shrug and say they don't care. You know, we need, we need a critical mass responding and saying, yeah, we really do care. I, I think it's starting to come. I'm starting to see a tight a turn of the tide um, through social media anyway, through more doctors starting to stand up and, and right. voice an opinion because we do, we have a very important opinion to vo voice. And I think for too long, we've almost been either just too exhausted or too covered up. Um, and now realizing that it's time to uh, fan the flames a little bit and get going on things. seeing patients and you come home to your kids and you're working the last thing you want to do is then say okay now let me be politically active you know it's it's tough it's very tough it's it's all i i do a lot of work with other female physicians around work-life balance using that terminology but i'll be perfectly honest there is no such thing as balance it's always no. a give and take it's always a give and take and so that's where i think you just have no. to evaluate um where do I, where do I need to take from in order to give in some other areas? And so I, I, right. exactly. Um, well, this I remember is, when, when my kids were young, my, my medical assistant would say to me, do you have a life? And I'd go, what do you mean of a very full life? But she was right in that there was never a moment for introspection or respect or any of that. It was just, how do I get the kids to school, get the kids home from school, do the tap ballet, jazz, baton, 
gymnastics swim team, get my notes done. And, and try to get some uh, sleep somewhere in there. Oh, yeah. Sleep's optional, I guess. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a basic need, damn it. <laughs> uh, I know. I know. Well, I, this has been such a pleasure talking with you. I know that we connected through LinkedIn, and you said that would be a great place for um, any of our listeners, if they're interested in knowing more about you or connecting with you, I will put a link to your LinkedIn profile for those that are interested. And the other really cool thing that I think when you mentioned in your LinkedIn message is your daughters who are also right. in medicine. Apparently I didn't frighten them enough, <laughs> but I'm so proud of, so proud of my kids. My oldest right now, she's a consultant for Deloitte. She got into med school. She graduated from uh, MIT. Give me the, you know, the mommy brag moment. Um, but that, oh, well, medicine doesn't make financial sense. So now, eight years into the consulting world, she goes, I'm kind of tired of corporate greed. I want to do something meaningful. So she's going to apply to med school. Middle one's an orthopedic resident. And yes, it's 2018, but her letter when she got there, the orientation letter said, welcome, gentlemen. Mm. Um, was a little discouraging, um, but she's doing great. She's, she's absolutely where she needs to be, loving it. Good. And I can't say I loved it when I was a first-year uh, resident and a little one's a med student. So. Well, that's great. Well, I mentioned mm -hmm. it before. We may have to get you guys back on here and do like a family of medicine sometime. That would be amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining okay. me today. And I love this conversation and I can't wait to have more with you. I wish I would have had Dr. Lisa Masson as a mentor as I was growing up in medicine. I don't know about you and what you think about it, but I think she is one kick-ass female mentor that we should lean on more and more with all of her advice. You know, I think she picked a great word with dignity and gave some great examples about how our dignity has changed and how our role as physician has changed and how perhaps we need to reclaim some of that dignity back. And as I was thinking through this podcast, through her conversation, through the points that she made, I think a lot goes back to asking for what we need at work. First and foremost, we have to know what it is that we need to ask for before we can learn the tips and techniques on how to ask for it. So I'd have you sit back in your life and think about the areas that you feel like aren't very dignified. Maybe there's something that needs to be changed, but that change cannot happen unless you identify it and then learn to articulate it well. I work a lot with my clients just on these issues, understanding what's behind the thoughts and feelings and emotions so that they can then go into their workplace, go into their life, go into other areas and appropriately and effectively ask for the things that we need. Because the only person who can tell us what we need is ourselves. We can't depend on someone else for that at all. So first, really get clear on what you need. And then second comes the ask. Man, I don't know about you, we are not the best at asking for help. One of the negative thoughts that I confront many, many times with the women that I'm working with is they feel as if they ask for help, it means that they can't hack it. 
Have you convinced yourself that you can't ask for help because that would mean that you can't hack it either? You know, not asking for help is a pattern we learned in medical school and residency. I call it the hidden curriculum. Confidence and independence are held up as ideal attributions for a successful doctor. And in some ways that's true. But asking for help is also a sign that you're healthy. Shame hides. And there is so much freedom in openness, honesty, and vulnerability. But man, it's hard. Whenever we need to help a patient who isn't responding in a way that you respect, you expected or you need help picking up your kids from school, you know, isn't it okay to ask for help? We're human beings. We all need help at some point. So here's the truth. If you never ask for help, you will never get it. So I encourage you to stop seeing the act of asking as a weakness. It's actually a strength. I mean that you can recognize the power of community then. It means that you're willing to be a little bit vulnerable and connection thrives on vulnerability. If you're feeling lonely or isolated, depressed or disconnected, you may be hiding behind the wall of I'm fine. When you're not honest about how you're really doing, people really don't even know that you're struggling when you're behind, hiding behind that wall. So you need to open up and let that light in crawl out from behind that wall and ask for help. You know, that's the great thing about this community on Dr. Me First is that there is so many women with unconditional support, with total empathy, and the background to know exactly where you're coming from. And that's what I love doing as a physician life coach. Girl, I got your back. I know how it feels. And let me tell you, having come through a transformation of my own, to put shame behind me, to embrace vulnerability, to ask for help when I need it, it's amazing. So I want to help you too. If this is something you're interested in, you're like, hey, I just want to talk with Erin, click on the link on the colleague to colleague calls. That's a free, no selling, no sleaze. You're not going to be pimped for information. It's just a call talk with me to maybe see how we can improve your life and your practice. So just do it. And remember, as always, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. Bye.